Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. This is the word of the Lord. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Avalo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Hello everyone. I hope this day finds you well. Uh, question, have you been checking out the Bellator Christie website? Have you been interacting with us on Facebook? Um, we just encourage you to to, uh, to do so and engage and interact. We've got a lot of information going up um, on the website. Um, right now we're on uh, on uh, three part three of our uh, Resurrection Defense series, um, Early Eyewitness Testimony and the Failure of Hallucinations to Account for Them. It's really interesting when we start looking at this, folks, um, the resurrection itself and the evidence for the resurrection. We have a lot of information going up right now about the evidence for the resurrection. And another thing to keep in mind, we're coming up on the resurrection, the celebration of the resurrection. And we're also coming into the season of Passover, which I believe is... Uh, what is it, the 30th? I can't remember um, off the top of my head. But anyway, we're coming up on the festival of the Passover. Um, if you have a chance, folks, to be able to um, look into and maybe even research and, and find out about what the Passover is, the Passover meal is, and the Jewish celebration of that, and how um, it points to Jesus in each and every aspect of the Passover, um, as Jesus was our Passover lamb. So, as we're sitting here now, we got to get rolling on this podcast. Let's just welcome on Brian Chilton. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> doing good. Doing good. So, uh, we have some uh, news that needs to be uh, brought out right away. Um, it's uh, breaking news, and I'd like to uh, discuss it with you because we got some uh, some really neat information. You want to go ahead and tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so this was published uh, March 17th. Well, it was. It says today. I think it was actually yesterday when it came out. But um, yeah, it's yesterday. It's it, it's talking about new Dead Sea Scroll fragments that have been found. Of course, that back uh, 1947. Um, it was discovered uh, by a Bedouin shepherd boy uh, in a Judean desert cave. Uh, these uh, different uh, jars which had these Dead Sea Scrolls which uh, contained ancient uh, documents of the Old Testament. Well, it appears that uh, they have found in another cave called the, the Cave of Horrors, uh, another cave just recently filled with other 
Dead Sea Scrolls. And this one comes from the time of uh, the Bar Hakba revolt, uh, which was a time that uh, Ro- that Rome uh, invaded Israel and was successful. Uh, some 1900 years ago, Jewish refugees uh, flee- fled, uh, fleeing the Romans, made their way to the Judean desert. And among their belongings, they carried with them scrolls uh, featuring the biblical books of Zechariah and Nahum. Uh, and two millennia later, those fragments have been found by the Israeli Antiquities Authority. And so um, it's talking about here, uh, this was the first such discovery since the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. Now, uh, Dr. Randall Price, he had... Uh, a few years back, uh, he's a professor at Liberty University. Actually, had him as one of my own professors. He was uh, making headway and indicated the fact that there were additional caves that needed to be explored, uh, which would potentially hold other um, jars with the Dead Sea Scrolls. This isn't the same cave. There may be many oh, more my. caves. But this is actually pushing up the need for archaeologists to go in the area to preserve this area so that uh, raiders won't come in and, and steal these uh, different um, different scrolls. So anyhow, um, without going through all of the uh, details on the podcast, because I know we've got a lot to, to talk about today, um, the, the individuals uh, actually repelled to the Cave of Horror, so named because really? they found 14 bodies in the cave. One was a young child, pretty well preserved. and uh, But they did find verse 16 and 17 of the 8th chapter of Zechariah, which reads, this, These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to one another. Render true and perfect justice in your gates. And do not contrive evil against one another. And do not love perjury, because all those things... Or that I hate, declares the Lord. And uh, they're also found, interestingly, uh, according to uh, Beatrice Riestra, I probably massacred their individual's names, uh, said that in this manuscript we can see the effort of the translators to remain closer to the original Hebrew mm. compared to what happened with Septuagint. So there, there were Greek translations that actually were very closely aligned to the Hebrew text. So it's oh very, very compelling what they found. I think there's going to be a lot more things that they discover um, in uh, the months and years ahead. And I'm just excited to see what yeah. they what they, what they they find. Uh, I think this is just yeah. the tip of the iceberg, quite honestly. Oh, man. Yeah, and what, is it, what does it say about God preserving his word? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's amazing to me is... Is they had to repel, repel down in there. Yeah, and it might explain why there was those uh, those bodies found in there. I'm assuming, I one would assume anyway, they had to repel well, into there. The ama- the amazing thing is, is that these individuals were able to, in the in whatever century it was that the bodies were placed there. They actually did it on their own, uh, climbing up into these caves, and so uh, you had to be very athletic individuals to be able to to do uh, to do that. But uh, uh, yeah, this the, the, they were fleeing from the Romans during this time, and so um, not exactly sure what happened to the people. 
Uh, I guess that's going to be one of the things they seek to try to answer uh, as they as they explore more. But um, very very compelling. And again, I think with the work that Dr. Price is doing over there and and uh, Israel, Israeli Antiquities Authority, this is just the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg. I have a feeling there are many more caves to be explored and discovered. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is. Our, our young people need to need to start venturing into being becoming archaeologists, biblical archaeologists. I would say that, and I would also say that uh, if 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 you can support organizations like World of the Bible, which is Dr. Randall uh, Price's mm-hmm. organization, um, th- there is really a big push now to get individuals over there to try to discover these things before raiders come in and try to sell them on the black market. Uh, mm. This actually intensifies the need to get archaeologists over there now to uh, look mm. and do these things. And as Dr. Price has said many, many times, it's one thing to want to do this. It's another thing to actually go through the process to get the documentation and and to get the financing because this is a very expensive venture to do so, um, I would say if there are individuals out there who can give the world of the Bible to Dr. Price's organization to help out, I would highly suggest they do so, because um, this this needs to be pushed ahead pretty quickly. Now with this making national national news, yeah, uh, that's pretty awesome, amazing stuff. Especially when we start finding that they're, um, you know, enough intact that they could actually read that much of it. Yeah, Just, I mean. There's a lot there. It's just amazing to me. Absolutely. So we're still continuing the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going through now into Matthew 7. Um, So our text today will be Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 6. Do you want to go ahead and read that, Brian? Yeah, it says, uh, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood or log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite, he says. First take the beam of wood out of your own eye, then you will see clearly how to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs or swine, mm-hmm. or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Mm. Yeah, and so in hearing this, Brian, it kind of almost makes you go, hmm, I think Jesus had a sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> most certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Walking around beam-whacking people. <laughs> So does Jesus exclude discernment in his teaching against the judging? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, Well, we first of all need to understand the word krino uh, in Greek. Krino uh, means, according to the Laonida Dictionary, to judge a person to be guilty and liable to punishment, to condemn someone. And James even says that, that we as believers need to understand that the whole aspect of judgment uh, of of charging one guilty eternally belongs to God, and we are no one's judge. But that doesn't take away the importance of discernment. 
And I think that, yeah, that there is a, I think a lot of times even when apologists are trying to dissect this, they say, well, don't say, don't tell me not to judge because you're judging me. I think there's a line of distinction that needs to be made, though, between judging and discernment. Uh, we can right. discern right from wrong from the teachings of Scripture and from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we, we can say to someone who is critiquing individuals over the least minute detail that they're doing wrong in that. And I believe that we as Christians in general have a real bad problem. We've had problems with this for, for a long time where we want to critique everyone for a minute detail when it may be someone wearing blue jeans or someone wearing a pair of shorts or um or maybe wearing a uh a hat a black hat with white and red lettering on it or something like that uh <laughs> we may want to condemn someone like that and by the way folks curtis is wearing Who would a hat want to do that <laughs> Curtis is wearing a black cat with a white and red lettering on it. That's <laughs> but anyhow, you know, obviously that's going. That's not what we need to do as believers. We need to love and support right. and uplift one another. But that's not to say that we can't use discernment to try to build up one another and encourage one another in the Lord and try to stir one another towards holiness. So there is a distinction between discernment and judge, judging. Uh, other individuals and by the way here again keep in mind that uh, jesus has in mind the very legalistic jewish leaders of his day right yeah the context is key here with this but also um one of the other i guess i'm going to ask a question that maybe maybe falls into discernment we all make judgments we make judgments whether to walk left walk right or or open a door or it how how is that um being applied or or is it even being applied here i, I don't think that's being applied at all and, and, and there again i would say that there may be you could call it judgments it may be more just a matter of um vernacular or wording however you want to say it you know mm-hmm. um but we make decisions we make judgments like that every day of our lives and so obviously we need right. to, but i think a lot of that comes down to discernment discerning what is right discerning what is wrong discerning what the best choice to make may be and so um that is a whole different story because even jesus goes on to say in this passage of scripture that the goal is to first remove the log out of one's eye own eye what the person's own eye so that they can help mm-hmm. improve the other person uh, who's ha- has a, a problem, but that doesn't mean that you come down and condemn the person. It just means that you try to help the person out if they're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. So, what this might even lean more into um, one of our other questions, but this would be more judging hypocritically, meaning um, like we see some or have heard some say, um, you shouldn't do X. Uh, but they're in return uh, allowing that to creep into their life. Yeah, could that be what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of times in apologetics we have said we can judge one another. I don't think that's completely accurate because here again the word "crino" means to judge a person to be guilty and liable to punishment. Now, in a court of law. 
we that is there's a distinction there. Someone does wrong, God has given the authority to the courts right. to to um, execute judgment on individuals for doing wrong in society. You need to have laws. You need to have punishments to to keep a society running. But this is talking about issuing a, an eternal judgment, saying that someone is or is uh, not. I get you. You know uh, yep. that that a person will or will not be forgiven. I get you. That's that's not something we as as Christians can do because that aspect belongs solely to God. So I, I think he goes a little deeper than what the little passe uh, cliche things we use as apologists because I think we say, well, you know, you're judging me. So that is more of an area of discernment. That is more of an area of discerning what right from wrong. I think that's a whole other. I think what Jesus is going to talk about a little bit later on is discerning right from wrong, building up one another, but even then understanding the fact that we're not condemning one another. We can't say who is forgiven or who is who is not forgiven. We can be fruit checkers. You know, we can discern um, whether it's more probable or less probable that a person is right with God, but we really don't have the authority to do that. That belongs to God and God alone. So mm-hmm. that's where we really have to be careful with this with this teaching uh because yeah i understand modern apologists wanting to say you know to 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 look for the circular reasoning saying don't judge me or you know by judging me by telling me not to judge you're judging me there again there's a little discernment that goes in there but at the same time we have to understand what the word means and the context of the passage right right well, we kind of answered a little bit of it, but let's go ahead. The, the second question is, what standard does Jesus reference in verse 2, and how does Matthew eleven twenty eight help us in interpreting this standard, 7, 2? Okay, so first and foremost, Jesus says, For you will be judged by the same standard with which you will judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. Now, Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, let me just turn over there and read the entire passage of Scripture. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So mm-hmm. here again, I mean, yeah, the standards of Jesus... Are, are pretty intense from what we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount. But at the same time, we understand that when we come under the forgiveness of Christ, we don't have to worry that every minute thing we do wrong is going to send us to eternity in hell. And so, because we've been forgiven. Um, here, a lot of times, if you look at the ultra-judgmental sex of Christianity, if a person misbehaves in the least regard um i've even heard people say if they watched a movie or played cards they were they were considered to be condemned for that i mean that's where i'm going to hell if i play cards (laughs) (laughs) some some people some people have that opinion and obviously that's ridiculous but jesus warns (laughs) the same measure you use to judge others will be used against you so be careful how you treat one another. So again, your relationship with God impacts how you engage other people. Mm-hmm. Kind of like on Waterboy, where foosball is the devil. Yeah. 
Of course, for her, everything was the devil, you know. <laughs> Except for a mule. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So what is Jesus? What does Jesus' teaching on the splinter and the log tell us about judging? Well, here you have a word play. You have a word, a, a very humorous word play at this. So, so the depiction is a person who has a, uh, who is looking at a person, and and, and is, is saying, "You've got a splinter in your eye. You've got a splinter in your eye." All the while having this massive log in their yeah. own in their own eye. They got a speck of sawdust in their eye, but all the while they have this big log in their eye, and so it's ridiculous for a person who has this log in their eye to try to reach over to grab the speck out of the 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 person's mm-hmm. eye. You know that's not going to work very well. So he's telling the us as individuals, look first to our own selves and our own walk with God before we critique and evaluate everyone else. Mm-hmm. Look internally yeah. first. Start with our own life. And then work out from there, right? And so this, this folks is is one thing that points to how Jesus was teaching. He was teaching in a very rabbinical way as a rabbi teacher. He was showing a contrast between a greater and a lesser, and he's and he's show, he's using those to point to a um, a a. a make a theological point a kingdom point but using things that we can reference in our own terms absolutely so then how does this teaching impact the integrity problem in modern christianity uh oh <laughs> well we've got a problem with modern integrity don't we you know and so we could go back you know we've talked about Ravi Zacharias and and he's not the only one he's far from the only one there's several others who have um, fallen but you go back and you listen and often you know uh, they will condemn individuals of uh, well not condemn individuals necessarily but they'll talk about right and wrong and they'll talk about how certain people should do certain things but they come to find out that they're doing worse than the people that they had uh, taught, taught against. So, obviously, here again, the, the teaching of Jesus goes, shows us the importance of self-reflection, self-evaluation. Before we start condemning other people, look at our own lives and see how we stand before God before trying to condemn everyone else. It's easy to condemn someone else. For something, I mean, you don't have to look far to find a fault in someone else. But mm-hmm. Katie, bar the door, if we start doing that to ourselves, you know, there's a lot of people out there who will see fault in everyone who else except the themselves. Door? What did you say, Katie? Bar the door. You never heard that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nope, I haven't. Well, I'm glad I could add a little enlightenment. Don't worry, folks. I got your back. <laughs> keep this, keep this southerner straightened out. <laughs> you got your hands full. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I I know we're gonna, we might talk about this a little more, but here's here's the part where he's he's talking, and then he pauses and he says, "You hypocrite." So. This is what we're talking about. When people say, I don't want to go to church because there's hypocrites in there, how do we dig through that 
in this in this uh, portion. Well, I think all of us, if we're honest, we're hypocrites to a degree. I mean, if, if we're really honest about it, because we're talking about the holy standards of God, we're talking about you know ultimate perfection, mm-hmm. right from wrong, and we right. all fail at it every day. I mean, there's yeah. not a one of us who ever, you know, for instance, you know, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, but I dare say that we've probably broken fifteen of, of <laughs> or or however many there are, we've probably broken half of them this past week, yeah. if we're honest about it. I mean, we we all yeah. have that, but but. What Jesus is saying is is start first with yourself, evaluate your own life under the lens of Scripture and under the uh, the authority of the Holy Spirit, and then go out from there. But uh, if we're constantly if we're constantly critiquing everyone else and not allowing ourselves to be evaluated by the Spirit, then uh, we're living the epitome of a hypocritical life. Right, and I think that comes from. I think honestly, I think here, here's two statements. One, I tell people, yeah, come on in. We're all broken sinners. We all need a, a savior. That's why we worship Jesus. But the other is, we have to live lives asking and humbling ourselves and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal these things in us. That doesn't mean that He's going to unload and. Uh, open all of the things that we do or have done in our lives or or need to be convicted of all at once. Otherwise, we <laughs> we wouldn't even walk out the door. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, and, and ultimately, we've got to understand the forgiveness that's found in Christ. You know, it, we've got to right. understand the atonement. And, and if the atonement's right. good for one of us, it, it's good for all. Yep. Who 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 will receive, and that doesn't matter what they've done. I mean, I've, and I've heard, I understand this is difficult because when you think about some of the horrendous things that people have done, now some people have the idea that when you come to Christ, you can just say a prayer, and that's all there is. Obviously, there's a transformation of heart. There's a commitment that's made, and right. that commitment is going to bring about a total 180 degree change in the person's life. So it's not a matter of saying, you know, Lord, forgive me just to be forgiven and keep on doing what we're doing. No, there's a transformation that takes place. But understand, sin is sin. One sin can send you to hell just as quickly as another one can. So we're all condemned under under uh, under God uh, because of our sin. But it was the atoning work of Christ on the cross that gives us the opportunity to be forgiven and that's true for all of us, no matter what we've done or no matter how far we've fallen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and I think, that's, I think that's important for us to all understand, even as believers, when we're, when we're actually talking or trying to get people to come to church when we or visit with us about the Bible or what have you, about even just trying to evangelize with them about Jesus, we've got to come to it with the humility in our own hearts first saying god i'm just going to speak your truth you holy spirit do the work in these people draw them near to you because that's the biblical order mm-hmm. and all we do is like greg kokel says we do we do the gardening we do some gardening sometimes uh we we get them we get them a little bit further along sometimes all we're doing is just breaking open the soil we just got to be willing to actually do the work and get our hands dirty um being able to speak but speak it with humility and truth 
knowing that we are um, we are a representation of Jesus. And I think that's what really humbles us when we realize that <laughs> Jesus is right there with us as mm-hmm. we're talking to that person. Um, we are not some super, super saint in any sort of way, um, even the greatest person the greatest evangelist out there, Billy Graham, he'd tell you, I'm no super saint. I'm no, I'm nobody. Um, he says, it's all Jesus. I remember him saying that. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is the first step in correcting one's behavior according to Jesus? Well, the first step is look at our own lives. It, it's, it starts, it starts before we can, can try to help someone else out. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our own lives. So mm. notice he says, first, take the beam of wood out of your own eyes. So it starts, if you want to be a help to someone else, you've got to allow the Lord to first to help you. Uh, and I've said this a long time ago, and I still, I still believe it. Before a person can ever be a leader, they first need to know how to follow. Before a person can ever be a teacher, they first must be willing to know how to learn and be a student. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have to be disciples of Christ before we can be evangelists and ambassadors of Christ. And we need to continuously follow Christ. Um, so first of all, we have to allow Christ to remove the beam of wood out of our eyes. We have to be transformed by the power of God. Again, self-reflection, self-evaluation, allow the Holy Spirit to move through our lives. That's the first step. And before we worry about you know, uh, trying to help someone else out. We've got to allow the Lord to, to help us and to change us and transform us. But there's so many people out there, Curtis, who who want to be heard, they want to say, they want to do, they want to do all these things. But when it comes to their own personal lives, they don't want to talk about their sin. They don't want to talk about maybe what's going on in their lives. Uh, right. It's a way of diverting the issue, and I believe that's why Christmas is so popular and Easter's not. Uh, the, the church started in, in in Easter Sunday and at Pentecost. Yeah, that's when the church was yeah. founded. Yeah. Yet it's and don't get me wrong, I love Christmas, but we have placed so much emphasis on Christmas and less yeah. emphasis on Easter Sunday because when we when you go to Easter. You're looking at you're looking at the cross. You got to go through the cross before you go to the tomb. That's and right. to go through the cross, we have to stop and look at our own sin, and we don't want to do yeah, that. We have to look in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting? I don't want to sidetrack too much, but it's kind of funny little rabbit trail, uh, Easter rabbit trail. <laughs> um, but I I tell people I I ask them this simple question: If you were the enemy. And you wanted to make God's greatest triumphal day to be not recognized in any sort of way, how would you do it if you were the enemy? Would you make it about a holiday that is about a bunny running around planting chicken eggs, <laughs> hiding eggs everywhere? Um and we and it starts a thought process in people's minds. And now I'm not coming against the holiday of Easter. I enjoy getting together. It's springtime. It's you know everybody gets out and we get to have fun. And it's it's just a nice, bright, fun time where um, you know we're we're celebrating new life coming in. You know, and 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 so on and so forth. And I totally get that. But 
it's God's most triumphal day, showing that His uh, actions towards us, His loved ones, um, is true and real. And and so when when we talk about the Passover and the cross and and all of these things um, that are coming up to this holiday and Easter, the Resurrection Day. Um, I want I want to just challenge people to think a little deeper about the importance of this of this time period coming up and how we focus, like you said, on Christmas and we focus on some of that um, f- the fall festivals, uh, the Jewish fall festivals. We focus a lot on that, but we don't seem to really focus a lot on the spring. You know the the Passover. Well, what was all happening and, and if you read the Didache, which almost made it into the New Testament, the the church what the church early church used to do is they used to wait and save all the baptisms of individuals who'd been saved the year prior, and they would do it on the eve of Easter, Easter Eve. Oh my word! They would do it. Can you imagine how how cool that would be. They did it on the eve of Easter, then they would take communion on on Easter Sunday, that first part of the morning. Mm. And I say Easter understanding this is resurrection Sunday, not anything sure. else. I think right. there there are connections with Easter to the Paschal month of April uh being the lamb Paschal, you know, anyhow, the Passover. Anyhow, going back to the main point. They would wait and save all the, the baptisms for the Easter Eve. They would have communion on Easter Sunday, and they would recite the Lord's Prayer. That would be part of it. Mm. And they had this celebration that they would have on Easter Sunday. So if we see anything in the early early church, it was the prominence of Easter Sunday. They even changed the day of worship from Saturday or Friday afternoon, Saturday to Sunday, which was Right, huge. It has huge ramifications uh, for the historicity of the resurrection. Right, um, right. And that's just that's a whole other other old topic. But yeah, I think the problem is getting back on point is that uh, to the Easter reminds us of our sin. The reason for why mm. one of the reasons for why Christ came, and we don't like we don't like looking at our our sin. We don't like yeah. looking at those type of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard enough as uh, as believers and as as uh, what we do here with Bellator Christie to look at our our sins and and so on and so forth. Could you imagine being you know in a position of a non-believer looking at it? We they just ignore it. I mm-hmm. know I did. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have. Yeah. So what does what do the symbols in verse six represent? Okay, so so yeah, so in verse six he says, "Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, uh, or they will trample them under your feet, turn uh, turn, and tear you to pieces." Now we're going to read a uh, one of the proverbs, which is going to help better explain this as well. Holy Mm -hmm. refers to probably sacrificial meat, but holy here is talking about the teachings of Christ. Okay, dogs. Okay, but if you're talking about sacrificial meat, meat to be offered for a sacrifice to God, dogs would devour it, uh, and it without appreciating the sacredness of the meat, 
And so this sacrificial meat symbolizes the sacred teachings of Christ. The dogs symbolize the wicked individuals who disregard the value of the teachings. And so pearls symbolically speak of insightful and valuable teaching, maybe an ethical teaching of some sort. Consequently, the, the pearls here symbolize Jesus' teachings given by the disciples. Now, Jesus had his teachings. He trained the disciples. The disciples would be like these mini-Jesuses and, and carry the, this message to the world. So the pearls represent the teachings of Jesus. Pigs were richly unclean animals, and they, they symbolized wicked and unclean individuals. Pigs eat spoiled food. They have no appreciation for pearls, just as the wicked consume wicked pleasures. They disregard the gospel. Thus, contempt for the gospel is pictured by a pig trampling the pearls underfoot. And that the, these pigs may uh, turn against the one offering the pearls. And this kind of actually has little connotations too. If you go back to, uh, I'm not saying this is necessarily what Jesus had in mind. Uh, but if you go to, back to the allegory of the cave in Plato's Republic, uh, he gives a story about uh, these individuals born in caves or grew up in caves, and they saw these shadows on the walls. That's all they knew. Well, one of them was released or got loose somehow or another and went outside the cave into the light, and he saw the beauty of creation. He tried to go back in the cave and rescue his brothers, but they turned on him and wanted to kill him because they didn't believe the things that existed outside the cave. That there's a little parallel between that story and, and Jesus' teaching here. I'm not, again, I'm not saying Jesus is drawing from that, but what he is showing, that individuals who are obstinate against the teachings of Christ are not going to hear the message. And instead of repenting and, and turning until the Spirit of God convicts their heart, they may very well turn on you. So what he's saying is, yes, we need to evangelize. Yes, we need to tell people the good news of Christ. We, we need to do that. But... If a person is unwilling to listen to you, then don't give these valuable teachings to them until they're willing to repent and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's essentially what he's saying. And this holds huge ramifications for us in um, in, in several different areas. Hmm. So what does the teaching say to us then? Well, it, it tells us, as we were talking off the podcast... It tells us that we cannot take uh, a person's refusal to listen to the gospel personally. Now, if we act like jerks, then yeah, we can blame ourselves for the person not listening to the gospel message. But if they're offended by the gospel, or if they are, if they just don't want to hear the gospel message, it may be that the time's not right. It may be that you can build a relationship with them, and eventually, maybe if God works on their hearts, maybe eventually they will come to the point in time that they're willing to listen. But obviously, this shows us that we as Christians can't be—we can't browbeat people on the head with the gospel. In fact, that goes against what he's saying here. He says, "Don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't cast, uh, you know, the sacrificial right. meat, what is holy, before those who are going to devour it." And so, um, don't be—don't browbeat people on the head with with the message of the gospel. Share it with them, and if they're willing to hear. You know, give give them more. But if they're unwilling to even give you a hearing, then what is the point in continually trying to push it on them? You can't push it on someone. 
and you know right. they have to be willing to listen, and their hearts have to be willing to be changed before um, they're willing to even consider or, or hear. And even among Christians, let's shoot straight, there is a disregard for Christian truth today. And so <laughs> even among Christians, you know, yeah. it may be yeah. that they're not going to want to hear. And, you know, Jesus says, if you go into a community, if you go into an area, um, and they don't want to hear the message, you know, dust your feet off your sandals and go on to the next one. You know, that, yeah. that's why I'm so amazed. You know, I've heard of people who will say, I was born in a certain church, and I'm going to die in this church. And, and it may be that they're not accepted in the church. Well, if that's the case, then why are you wanting to stay there? Jesus says if you're preaching the message mm-hmm. there, or if you're, uh, or, or not only a church, but anywhere, if you're delivering a message and it's not received, then don't continuously right. don't. spend time yeah. there. There may be someone else who needs to hear the message that uh that you can go talk to them, and they may be willing to hear. Yeah, they're they're ready ready to hear it. Yeah, and so you're wasting yeah. time. You you you're not giving the message to someone who needs to hear it by wasting time on someone who absolutely refuses to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one way that we could we could test the waters to find out if they actually are ready um, to hear more of the gospel or to hear about Jesus is to start asking questions pull that information out of them one thing i hear um a lot is um that christians that want to evangelize basically go in and just um you could say bulldoze their way through Mm -hmm. rather than actually listening to the people and there's there's actually a lot more ministry being done in just a conversation when you just listen to the person. Now, I know I, I <laughs> there's times I struggle at this big time because it's like, well, the, the, you listen to it and you're like, well, I know the answer for your problems, but let me let me tell you. And and so it's um, it's hard for me, um, you know, in some aspects to be able to um, hold back and just listen. I do believe that that there are times where God prompts us to say certain things at certain times and we got to be ready and willing in the spirit to be able to do that. But also I think God allows us that, that uh, freedom and grace to just listen, Mm -hmm. to listen to somebody and make a difference in their life by just being that person that is willing to listen um, apologize if needed um, to also um, encourage along the way you know um, there are conversations I've been in where um, I just know the person is not ready to hear about God mm-hmm. I just know it but they're willing to talk to me about certain life experiences and life things so I just listen and then as it goes on, I just encourage them with um, certain things. So I might encourage them with, well, you know, ponder who makes who made the stars or ponder um, who's given you that, um, that ability to recognize these things. And I think it's, I think that's important. I think and, as, and as n- never uh, underestimate the power of asking well, well-delivered questions. 
or well mm-hmm. thought out questions. Mm-hmm. Because quite honestly, a lot of times, if a person can own the information, uh, you, you can actually lead a person to certain conclusions by asking questions. And if a person can own the answers, that 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 is mm-hmm. going to stick with them a lot longer. Uh, than than even just hearing it from someone, and Jesus taught that way. A lot of times, and it's right. a rabbinical practice. A lot of times, people would ask him questions, and he would answer with a question. You know, I've never <laughs> figured out how to quite do that the way Jesus did, right. did it. But right. that's what he would often do. He would often answer a question right. with a question. Uh, well, for yep. instance, you know, said, uh, "What was the question? Are you?" Um, you know, are you the Messiah? Tell us if you're the Messiah. And then Jesus will answer us. He said, I'll answer you this. If you answer me this, uh, was John the Baptist, was his? Uh, was he from God or was he from man? Yeah. And they yeah. didn't know how to answer so that. He trapped them. Yeah. 100% trapped them because they're like, uh, if we answer him that he's from God, then he's going to say, well, why, why didn't, didn't we listen to him? him? <laughs> <laughs> and, if we, and if we say, well, he's, he's just, he's not of God, we're gonna get stoned. Yeah, because everyone <laughs> hailed that John the Baptist was a prophet. Yeah. So yeah. you know, yeah. he answered a question with a question. Again, I have I am far from mastering that technique, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. if if we could get a handle on how to do that, I think that would be right. very beneficial as well. Well, for example, so if we follow if we follow the, your line of thought there, we think this through. Look at Jesus when the rich young ruler came to him and asked him. He says, good teacher, what do I need to do to get into heaven or to to get into eternity? Well, Jesus turns and asks him one question and says, good, why do you call me good? And then he makes a statement. Yeah, and the question he asked there about why do you call me good is he's asking him about Mm -hmm. who is he saying Jesus is. If, right, if he exactly. says only there's only one good, good person is God, are you calling me God? Are you seeing that I am the incarnate Son of God? Yep. Or, I mean, yep. he's right there on the threshold, and so he's yep. asking him, what do you mean by calling me good? Yep, right. And then he makes the statement. Then he makes the statement, tells him, gives him a command, or tells him what to do. If this if if this is what you're calling me, if you're calling me God, then, then the one thing you're lacking is to sell everything and follow me. And and the and we got to understand there. I don't know necessarily that Jesus intended him to sell everything. Nope. I think it was a test. I think if yep. he, I think the question was, yep. did his riches and Where's wealth hold a greater prominence than his relationship with God? And yep. so Jesus, it's the yep. same thing when we were talking about uh, you know Jesus with the Syrophoenician woman last yep. week. You know Jesus is using a certain didactic, a certain teaching style to bring out the answers within that person, you know, to, to get them to say, aha, I see where you're going with this. And a person owns the information so much more when we're able to do that. Yeah. Jesus style. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we can make a song about that, Jesus style. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so so in the end of that, the rich young ruler went away sad. Because he knew that his heart was for his possessions and not for God. Absolutely. And Jesus knew that. And, and does that mean that later on down the road, uh, the rich young ruler, you know, um, maybe had a revelation of God? We don't know. But, but he, this, the text tell us, tells us that he went away sad at that current moment. 
And it very well may have been that he did come back later on. I mean, because, I mean, it may have been the disciples preserved this message uh, and, um, you know, the story, you know, later on for future generations. Or it may have been that the rich young ruler did eventually come back. We we don't know. Uh, God does, Mm -hmm. you know. But uh, in the end, however, no matter how it came about, we know that uh, Jesus challenged him with this style. And I hate to rush this along, but my phone is getting ready to die. <laughs> and since we're connected oh. on the phone, so I, can, I guess we need to rush we'll to, hurry. The, to the next question. <laughs> so, how 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 is the teaching clarified by Proverbs 26, 4 through 5? Okay, 26, 4 through 5. This is going to open up this teaching, I think. Big time, because I'm I'm kind of thinking that maybe Jesus had this proverb in mind. So Proverb 26 verses four and five says, "Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness." Now, fool here is talking about a person throughout the book of Proverbs. A fool is de- described as a person who doesn't seek after God. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, as compared to the wise man, a wise man is one who seeks God first. So don't answer a fool, someone not looking according to the ways of God, according to his foolishness, or you'll be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. Uh, And there's another proverb that says, and I can't remember where it is, uh, that that it says that if you... um, and I thought it was that one, but it may be a different one. It's talking about if you answer a fool, he's going to hate you. But if you correct a uh, if you correct a wise man, he will love you forever. Uh, if you if you correct someone who is who is uh, given over to wisdom, then he will be one who will be appreciative of the information given to him. He'll make a change in his life, and he'll be transformed for that. Uh, I can't remember. I thought that was the proverb, but it uh, that that's part of it. At least that's part of it, though. And um, so um, we also have the other proverb that says, um, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend." Yeah, and, and I think that's this plays right in with the with the speck uh, and the beam. Then, so yeah, I was trying to see. Oh, he, oh here I think this might be it. Proverbs nine nine. Um, instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. So just with those two Proverbs, Proverbs 9.9 9 and, and, and uh, uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 26, th- there's one that, that condenses this together in one or two verses. Um, but there we see in 9.9, 9, if you give instruction to a person seeking after God, they're going to cherish you, they're going to, they're going to love you, they're going to, you're going to build a good relationship together, and they're going to appreciate the wisdom you give to the person. But if a person is a foolish person, one who is not seeking after the ways of God, then they're going to lash out against you, they're going to uh, cause problems, you know, and, and um, they'll, become, they'll become wise in their own eyes. Essentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and notice the warning: so then, you, you'll be like him yourself. Because you, what's going to happen is if you get caught up, if you answer a fool according to his foolishness, the the foolish person is going to 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 lash out at you and 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 say, "Well, I was right in justifying this," and you were going to and you're going to lash back and say, "Oh, well, no, you weren't. You were stupid for doing that." And before you know it, you're caught up in this big, nasty debate. Uh, that uh, was all brought about by probably something that was right 
in 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 saying, "Hey, you're doing wrong in this," but at the same time, um, you know, I, th- I do think we need to co- correct individuals, but just understand that there's a little warning with that. That if a person's not seeking after the Lord, then they may lash out at you, and you, if you're not careful, you may be caught up in a nasty situation. And the potential of casting your pearls before swine, then. Exactly. Uh huh. And and quite so, honestly, you know, I think that the the lesson in Proverbs is very similar. I think what Jesus probably had in mind here that if we get caught up, if if there's a person who's who is not willing to change, they're not willing to hear. And you're 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 saying, hey, you need to do this, and the person's not willing to listen. Then they're going to storm after you, and and they're going to, and they're going to try to bring you down to their level. And then before you know it, there's this repartee going back and forth, and um, and it get get nasty. Right. And if you look at social media, who? I think right. that happens a lot of times in social media, where we get caught yep. up in this same stuff. Hey. I think uh, Frank Turek had 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 something going there. He said that he's going to start a new uh, new social media. It's going to be called You Twit Face. <laughs> yeah, combination of YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but that is what's that's what's happened here. That's what's happened with yeah. with America. In fact, there there have even been some individuals who've said that we're in a brand new phase in 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 the culture as a people. Because we're caught up in these echo chambers, um, we're we're literally seeing this play out. Where we're not willing to listen. Individuals who may be wrong are not willing to listen to sound instruction because they've built these echo chambers around themselves. And um, mm-hmm. but we as Christians have done it too. So you know that's that's part of the problem. And I think we're seeing this fleshed out about what will happen when we cast our pearls before individuals who aren't willing to hear. Mm. scary stuff so putting all the pieces together what can we take from this lesson then I think what we should see from this lesson is that we need to love one another we need to build up one another I think that we can see that we should see that uh, before we look at someone else and in, in, uh, in even trying to help someone else that we first look at our own lives to see how we stand before God. we first of all got to look at ourselves before we can ever help someone else. We've got to make sure that before we're teaching the doctrines of Christ, that we're following Christ, before we're, we're even trying to lead individuals, that we're fo- first following Jesus. I think we first have to identify and look at our lives and be willing to change if we're the problem. Um, now, I do believe there is room for us to build up one another, to help one another, to instru- give good and solid godly instruction. But we must remember that before a person is willing to be changed by the, the gospel message, before a person is willing to hear those truths, they first have to be willing to allow God in their lives. So don't cast deep theological uh, um information to individuals who are not willing to listen otherwise we'll become bible thumpers we'll we'll browbeat people and that's not what god's calling us to do uh essentially if you look at the message of jesus we, we are to love one another and we're to even love those who are unlovable and uh, Curtis, if there's one thing i've learned in chaplaincy it's the power of showing love to someone 
There are a lot of hurting people out there who don't even know that God loves them. And so if we first start there, and uh, then we get gain a trust with a person and that God works in their lives, then maybe we, we'll, we're given that opportunity to speak truths in, in a deeper fashion to that individual. But it first has to come by uh, uh, a transformation of God. And then ultimately, uh, it, it comes by God working in our lives first. So... Um, I think there's a lot of lot of deep truths we can find here. Uh, evangelistically, we're affected because we understand that we're ultimately not responsible for what a person does with a message. We're just responsible for getting the message out there. Uh, yeah. Theologically, we're transformed on several areas. But ethically, I think we've got to take a look at even how we're engaging the culture, how we're engaging people today, and see... You know, it may be that we're we're casting the message to people who aren't willing to hear. So we've got to build, give time to build a relationship with individuals, to love on those individuals, and see the hand of God working in that to melt that heart of stone. Before that, if if that heart's not melted to be able to hear the message, then then no matter what you say to them, they're not going to hear it. Right, right. Well, there it is, folks. We got. Uh... Uh, we got the command of God saying, love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the first two. That's what uh, the greatest two that Jesus tells us. So we here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, soldier on, friends. listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart.
and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north. The Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of BellatorChristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. <laughs> 